0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Sanford University. Now your host, Doug Sweeney.
1: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I am your host, Doug Sweeney, and I'm joined today by Dr. Anthony Casey. He is Associate Professor of Intercultural Studies at William Carey University. He's worked with refugees and other immigrants in the U.S. and overseas for 15 years. He's conducted cultural and linguistic research on four continents and previously served as professor of anthropology at a university in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Uh, he recently, just earlier today, shared a wonderful message to the students entitled Social Sciences and the Great Commission as part of our Global Voices series. We want to ask him about that and about his ministry in general in the minutes ahead. Thank you, Dr. Casey, for being with us. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Let's introduce you to the Beeson podcast. Listeners, can you just tell us a little bit about how you grew up, how you came to faith in Christ, how you got involved in vocational ministry?
0: Yeah, I grew up in Ohio in a small town and, you know, family would have identified as Christian, but we didn't really go to church that much. It definitely wasn't a part of my life and I did a good job at doing all the things that I wanted to do Mm. uh, even if that brought some destruction upon myself and others and right before college I had already decided to go to college out of state I just sort of wanted to get away from things and right before college some friends invited me to a church camp and I went and heard the gospel very Mm. clearly at at the camp it was so plain to me that I was a rebellious sinner, living life my own way. I mean, they were reading my script; it seemed like, and you know, repentance and regeneration, restoration in Christ was so um, just. I don't know. It was just laid out in front of me in a way that I I couldn't say no mm-hmm. and wholeheartedly said, "I, I want this. I, I, I need Wonderful. this." My life was not going in a you know, in a fruitful direction at all. So yeah. praise God for those friends and in that camp. And uh, yeah. so then did you get involved in a church or how did you grow from that point? So not long after that, uh, I went to college in, in Wisconsin and my my dorm was on this, they called it the circle. And there was a lot of dorms in a row. And the first Sunday, this church bus pulls up and says, anybody wants to go get on. I didn't know anything about really church at this time nothing yeah. and I thought okay so I, I got on the bus yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, attended and then served at that church all four years through college oh. and had what a, church was that uh, it was an evangelical free church yeah. in, in Wisconsin okay yeah, just a wonderful place to grow and, and be welcomed and yeah. really the first time in my life I experienced like what a what a true you know Christian family church family uh, is like and it was just refreshing and wonderful
1: fantastic. All right, so you go to college thinking what? Thinking you're going to be a missiologist?
0: <laughs> I, I love the outdoors, and I started as a natural resources major and was thinking I would be some kind of wildlife biologist or something along, along those lines. Yeah, so what happened? You're not, you're not a wildlife biologist. Huh? <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Um, well, Crew, Campus Crusade, uh, got a hold of me and was in discipleship relationship with them. That was very good for me as well. And every summer they have the, the cruise summer mission projects. Yeah. So my, my disciples said, hey, I don't know what you're doing this summer, but why don't you consider one of these mission projects? And I thought, sure, why not? So I went on it and it was really, I would say that after my freshman year, I didn't have the words for this, but being able to do you know, full-time ministry, sharing the gospel, Bible studies, discipling, working alongside of the, of the people that we did, that's the first time I really thought, wow, this, this is wonderful. I, I might do something like this for, you know, a, a career.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so does that mean you go to seminary after that or you get involved in church work or yeah. campus work? Well, I, I didn't know that seminaries existed. So I stayed at the state university. I literally looked at the list of majors and I thought I need a major that's more suitable to people than animals and trees. All right. And arbitrarily right. pick communication and finished out in that but you know god had a plan for me so i started learning about linguistic theory uh, language and culture interaction conflict Mm -hmm. all kinds of things like that yeah you mean in your communications classes this was coming up absolutely and and then i I was reading every missionary biography i could i could find and you know 150 years ago the bible didn't exist in very many languages around the world so basically nearly every missionary the first thing they did was learn the language And then they translated the Bible. So my senior year of college, I thought, I want to go into Bible translation. So part of that was what I had learned in my communication program, reading these missionary biographies, had worked with international students on campus, did some other things in the summers. So I called up Wycliffe Bible Translators and I said, I don't know anything, but these are my interests. Is there any kind of project that might be available that I could join up and learn from when I graduate? And sure enough, there was in the Himalayan mountains of all places. So, yeah. three days after I graduated, I got on a plane and landed in the uh, in the Himalayas and wow. spent the next. Was this Nepal or where were you? It was in a country not to be named that oh, okay. has a, a right. very, uh, uh, yeah, a very linguist- linguistically diverse place. So, I was at twelve to eighteen thousand feet. Wow. And you had the lungs for this right away? Well, so this is fascinating. So I, I was a wrestler growing up, always did a lot of sports. I was in Boy Scouts and had done a lot of backpacking and was in pretty good shape when I went to and did this linguistic research. So we, there was, I think, seven people, and they were all from different countries, was on our linguistic research team. So we're in this van going up and down these Himalayan mountains, and, you know, you would get quite high. Yeah. Every single person on my team got altitude sickness at one time or another, except me, huh. which you think would be fantastic, but I was the one that got to take care of them all when they were hallucinating and oh. throwing up and all kinds of you know interesting things. So yeah, it, it was, I, mean, I was there, but it was so, I, it's hard to believe it even happened. Yeah. It was just an unbelievable experience. Wow.
1: All right. So I don't want to spend too much time on your early life history, sure. but- there are people who listen to the podcast who are they are just wondering, what's God doing in my life? They're thinking, should I go to seminary? Should I not go to seminary? And I know folks like this are interested in hearing other people's stories, mm. like how God worked them into the situations they're in today.
0: How did you get from that to being like a professor of missiology? Never, never thought I would do anything like this. One, one of my communication professors, in undergrad at a state school, said, Oh, your writing's pretty good. If you thought about grad school? And I didn't have a lot of a filter. So I, I literally just laughed in her face. I mean, I didn't mean to be rude, but it was so outrageous to me that I would ever do that. Huh. But looking back, I mean, God clearly, you know, looking back, it's obvious. In the, in the moment, at any given time, I had no idea what was coming next. So did all this linguistic research, realized I needed to learn a lot more about culture, cultural research, language, missions, so my wife's college pastor had went to the southern baptist theological seminary in louisville kentucky Uh and recommended to me basically uh, these people love the bible they believe it you can't go wrong there so i i came back from that project got married and enrolled at southern seminary and planned to just do an mdiv type program where you spend time there and then you finish overseas in a missions context several things happened uh, I worked at their missions mobilization center for a while and part of my job, I coordinated the mission trips, another part of my job was to place professors on these short term teaching assignments to help equip the global church mm-hmm. so they would be credentialed to, you know, teach in Bible colleges globally. Yeah. And, you know, the way I like to put it is we had seventy-two of literally some of the best scholars, certainly in the country, if not beyond. And no more than two or three of them seemed to be interested in giving up a week or two a year to equip the global church. Right? And I just could not understand how people's theology didn't drive them to yeah. want to have some you know, part in this. So, And I was also working with refugees in Louisville at the time. And basically, I decided to do a Ph.D., not to be a professor, but as I was on the field, mission field, I would have the credentials to teach these classes if there was a need to help equip the global church. So that's what got me into it. But then along the way, I, I discovered I loved it. I loved the classroom, I loved teaching. Uh, students appeared to like me. So yeah. God just confirmed like, this is this is it. But I I never thought I would be doing uh, anything like that. But you wound up going straight from your master's program
1: in seminary into a PhD?
0: I did, yes, okay. yeah. Yeah, I, sta- I stayed at Southern for that and had a great experience. And then uh, when I graduated, family moved overseas to Malaysia. Okay. Yeah. All right, and then we've already said in Malaysia,
1: you're teaching already, you come back to the state you're teaching, and we know because you talk to the students about it today, that one of your passions is to persuade evangelical Christians to learn some things from the social sciences as they think about how more faithfully and fruitfully to witness to the gospel, particularly cross-culturally, um, don't give us the whole lecture. Uh, our, our listeners can go and listen to that online. But give us just a little teaser. What, what was like the main argument you were trying to make with the students today about the value of the social sciences for people whose primary sense of purpose is more evangelistic and
0: missions oriented? Sure. Well, I'll put, it, I'll put it like this. You know, we're repeatedly called in the Bible to love our neighbor as ourselves. We live in a world with migration, urbanization, all kinds of things, our neighbor really here, there, and everywhere is increasingly not like us with regard to our religious, potentially ethnic background and so on. So gaining some some skills in anthropology and social sciences for me is a way to, you know, I, I can't love my neighbor as myself if I don't know my neighbor. And how do I, get to know somebody, how do I know my community that's become so complex, so diverse? And the social scientists give us some help for that so that we can know our neighbor, love our neighbor, serve our neighbor.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, So I agree with you completely. Uh, Over the years,
1: I've encountered some wonderful, faithful Christians who have kind of pushed back against an argument like that and said, hey, well, the the Bible talks about how the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. And the job of evangelism and missions has a lot to do with proclaiming the gospel. So what do you need all that social science for right. if the gospel itself is what saves people? Help us think better about that.
0: Well, The Bible itself is is delivered in multiple languages, multiple cultural contexts. Language shifts over time. You know, the Hebrew of the Old Testament is different in different eras, the cultural context. And God is always about revealing himself in a way that people can understand. He doesn't ask you to become something you're not so that you can access God. God meets you where you are. And even in the Bible, there's so many instances of God himself, you know, incarnating, contextualizing himself so that people can not see him as foreign. You know, he looked like a Jewish boy, he smelled like a Jewish boy, he did the things that Jewish boys did. So much so that people said, "Jesus of Nazareth? Him? Isn't he just the carpenter's son?" <laughs> he was a, so adept at walking along and doing life with people that he didn't appear foreign at all, but yet was their brother, you know, was the, was, and, and then brought the power to save. So, I mean, honestly, isn't that what we're trying to do? We, we don't want to import some kind of prepackaged you know, church with cultural baggage and things and force that on someone else as if we go into their culture and wipe the slate clean. What are you going to write onto it? And, and people often, well, we'll, you know, we'll write the, the biblical gospel. Well, yeah, but it always comes in language. It's always clothed in culture. So social sciences aren't in opposition to that. They're helping the gospel not appear foreign. And to so many people around the world, one of my professors used to say this, uh, people who've never encountered Jesus, all they know about Jesus is what comes out of your face. And to the degree that you're a jerk, you fail to understand their culture, you don't care about their way of life. That's how they perceive your Jesus. And who would want that? So over the course of my
1: adult life, uh, the number of career missionaries in the U.S. has declined a bit, but the number of short-term missionaries has grown pretty dramatically. Yes. And uh, lots of our churches are involved in one way or another in short-term mission trips in various places. I know from hanging out with friends who teach missions like you do, that this is a little bit of a concern to some missiologists because you don't... You don't get as much social scientific and other sorts of preparation to go and do uh, missions work if it's all on a short-term basis. Can you help us think about, I mean, for for missions pastors at churches who really care and they want to do this faithfully, they want to love their neighbors, they want to get to know them, but their job is to lead short-term trips over and over, what can they learn from the kind of work that you've done and apply uh, to the
0: ministries of short-term missions? Well, you know I, I have a few books out and, and some of the strategies that I talk about in there is there's lots of ways to think about this. Uh, when I lived in Birmingham a while back, I, I, was, I attended the Church of Brook Hills and around that time or shortly before you know, they tried to flip this on their head instead of, you know, you're Jerusalem, you're Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. They said, we're going to the ends of the earth, and we're going to let that trickle back. And the people that have experienced true cross-cultural work tends to open their eyes to their neighbors in a better way. So that, I mean, that's one mm-hmm. thing that can be helpful. So they wanted to incentivize as many people going overseas as possible with the hopes that it would increase their care and concern for their neighbor back home. So definitely that. Uh, something else that it's you know, can I, I recommend to churches... Do a study of your own demographics in in the area where your church is engaging, what people groups are there, where are they from, and then plan your short-term engagements around those people and actually build relationships with them, use their connections back to their home countries. And then you can have a multi-tiered engagement where you get, obviously, cross-cultural training in your own community working with these people. And then... Those teams that would then go overseas to these people's homelands, often in their name, you know, carrying gifts from them. Yeah. You have an immediate in, and you've, you've got some, some competencies already for that exact people.
1: Are you somebody who favors trying to persuade more and more missions pastors into doing more, if it's short-term, local, cross-cultural do you prefer a combination of global and then bring the learning? You I mean, as your worldview expands, as yeah. a, even as just a result of traveling that kind of thing, bring that home and let that sensitize you. What's the What's the kind of advice you have there for acting locally, acting globally uh, when it comes to the gospel?
0: That's yeah, that's tough. I I think that a lot of churches have too many global partnerships, and it leads to them not doing as good of a job, caring for those missionaries on the field. You're trying to recruit teams and you're, you know, you're, just, you're trying to do too many trips. So what to do about that? Um, so I, I think fewer partnerships done, done well, done more thoroughly is, is a good approach. And then, I mean, my, just in life, like we treat, things that we don't know, you know we, we, as abstract principles. So you think of Buddhist, Muslim, poor person, refugee, mm-hmm. you know, and until you know somebody, these are just abstract categories, and it's easy to dismiss yourself from them. So getting people out into their communities in face-to-face, at a dinner table, in relationship with people that aren't like themselves takes those categories and puts a human face and a pulse and a a hand onto it and and that i think is the best way to broadly transition people to be more receptive because a lot of people you know i'll give a you know a hundred dollars to missions but why should i go you know my money is enough well we need the money but when you can get people out in the community in people's homes face to face it humanizes them and that's a that's a big step to expanding your church's mission footprint locally and globally, I think. Mm. I want to ask you a little bit more about
1: ministry to immigrant groups in the U.S. Of course, we all know (laughs) immigration is one of the kind of hottest political issues, social issues in the U.S. today. I know that you have some extensive experience working with immigrant groups in the U.S., planning churches with immigrant groups in the U.S. What has your ministry to immigrant groups in the U.S. Um, taught you about the way we ought to think about ministry uh, to immigrants generally, and maybe even the politics of immigration
0: in America these days, or around the world these days? Sure. Well, you know, I, I'm not in politics. I've never run for office. I uh, don't plan to do so. Uh, everything I, I do, I, I really do try to run through the uh, the biblical the biblical lens. And if you read the Bible, just... Really, from from creation, Genesis to Maps, as you know, somebody like to say, you see God's heart. What He wants is people made in His image, with dignity and worth, filling the earth as His image bearers, with with His name on their lips. And of course, the fall uh, broke that down. But you know, God implements a plan of redemption, and that's essentially where Scripture ends. Is the whole earth is filled. The new earth is filled with His glory as His image bearers from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people worship him together and there there seems to be something in the scripture if we are truly made in the image of god and image bearers our world is incredibly diverse this can't be an accident by god so several several people tim keller and others have alluded to this idea that we can see more of the person of god in the diversity of the world mm-hmm. as we see people that aren't like us, but still made in his image. Yeah. That doesn't mean that every, you know, cultures are godly and without sin and not in need of redemption, but there's something beautiful and clearly God is after a flourishing society in scripture and that it will include tremendous diversity. So policies aside, experientially the places that I've lived the U S overseas um, I've just benefited wonderfully from people that aren't from here mm. and have learned so much about life, parenting, being a, a friend and a Christian from from these people that, that weren't like me and feel that my life has flourished for it. So, um, yeah, just that really helped me to look at a diverse world and see beauty in it instead of threat, apprehension, you know, fear. What's some of the ministry,
1: just concretely, that you've done with immigrant groups in the U.S.? And is it the kind of thing that well-led lay people in churches could also
0: do? Or do you need to be somebody who's studied what you've studied to do it well? Absolutely. We, we need uh, well-led lay people. So, for example, uh, Louisville, Kentucky had about 12,000-plus refugees resettled. And I was part of a group that go to their apartment complexes where they had been resettled. And we would put on um, interviewing workshops, you know, because refugee doesn't mean, you know, poor. Not, some of these were doctors, you know, they had extensive education, great skills, had lived in refugee camps for 25 years, didn't know how to translate that to the U.S. Mm. workforce. So we, we brought, re- you know, so-called regular people from the community that had worked, you know, professional jobs and we put, we set them up with refugees, and we had a resume building workshop. So we would mm-hmm. talk to the refugees, what's your background, what's your education, what jobs you've had, yeah. and try to put that in a, you know, an American style resume. Then we did interviewing workshops with them, so they would get comfortable. A lot of people around the world, it's embarrassing and and wrong to talk about yourself. Mm-hmm. They would say, I don't know, you know, ask my neighbor what I'm like. Yeah. But at a job, <laughs> it's like, well, why should I hire you? <laughs>
1: So and we, we Americans tend
0: to be good at talking about ourselves. Yeah, and, we, and we're <laughs> blunt and straightforward. So we, you know, we would coach them in that. Just so much good came of that. And that, yeah, that's a great, great thing right
1: there. Well, Dr. Casey, we always like to end our podcast interviews by asking guests about what the Lord's doing in their lives these days, uh, mostly as a way of edifying our listeners by way of conclusion. Mm-hmm. Is there anything the Lord's been working on in your life or teaching you or doing in your life uh, in recent
0: days that would be helpful for us? Mainly that the Lord has a plan for, for me, for, for you and he will do things that you have no idea he's doing. So, for me personally, you know, having felt a call to missions, sold everything, moved overseas, thought I would be there long term. Mm-hmm. In God's providence, my health failed, my immune system revolted. Uh, really, a, a, a difficult time. That's why we left the field. Mm-hmm. And I spent quite a few years after that just. I don't know what, I I mean, guilt, discontent, unrest. Should I be on the mission field? But yet he's given me this ministry with students as professor through my local church. And I really struggled with just guilt of why am I here? I should be there. And I would say in the past year, probably, uh, he's really helped me to see that I'm still a part of the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. Um, He's at work. It's his commission. It's not mine. You know, I'm not the one that's got the best plan for how it should be accomplished, he does. And that's given me a lot of comfort that I can, I can be happy and content where I'm at, doing what I'm doing, and not feel like it's not enough. Yeah. Wonderful way to end. Listeners, this has
1: been Dr. Anthony Casey, Associate Professor of Intercultural Studies at William Carey University and Global Voices Lecturer today here at Beeson Divinity School. Uh, He's a longtime friend of our own, Dr. David Parks, who runs Beeson's Global Center. Uh, Dear brother in the Lord, thank you very much for being with us. Listeners, thank you for being with us as well. We hope this conversation has excited you about participating in God's redeeming work in your own backyard and maybe in other parts of the world as well. We love you. We're praying for you. Please continue to pray for our students. We say goodbye for now.
0: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from the campus of Samford University. Our theme music is by Advent Birmingham. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our engineer is Rob Willis, and our show host is Doug Sweeney. For more episodes and to subscribe, visit Beesondivinity.com slash podcast. You can also find the Beeson Podcast on iTunes and Spotify.